I think I heard someone say, that's you, when the room went to an explosion. Uh, let's pray, and we're going to get into our, our Bible in Colossians 1. Father, I thank you for the phases that you bring us through. Now I pray that you would open your word to us, no matter what phase we find ourselves in. God, I know that, that, that in this community, the idea and the concept of family is valued and treasured. I pray that we would not just limit our scope to that this morning, but that you would reach every person the youngest person in this room to the oldest, and that you would show them their unique call, their unique purpose, their unique fit in what we call church, in what we call your body. So I love you. Bring these things to our eyes and ears, I pray, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We're wrapping up Colossians chapter 1 today, and if you've missed out on the Colossians series, basically it's this. Paul is writing a church he's never visited. He wants them to know that Jesus is really, 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 really big. So he goes through the entire first chapter talking about how Jesus is the creator, how Jesus is the sustainer, how Jesus is flesh that is covering deity. He is God-man. He is the man-God. That is who Jesus Christ is. And as Paul is going on this list, as Paul is saying, it is only in Jesus that you have salvation. It is only in Jesus that you can find reconciliation with God. He kind of preemptively strikes because he's never seen these people. It'd be like if I just wrote a letter to a church in the middle of Oklahoma encouraging them, I would have to give a little bit of a background, say this is why I'm writing this letter. And this is what Paul is doing here. And it's going to all tie into this concept of God using you where you're at. So let's read in verse 24. You can follow along in the screen. And we have Bibles in the back as always. If you don't have one, you can grab one of those and take it home as long as you ask me first. Colossians 1 verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. 
the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. May God bless the reading of his word. This is a big resume. Paul says, I'm suffering. Paul says, I'm suffering, but it's all good because I know what I'm called to do. I'm called to be a minister according to God's plan, according to what God has given me. Every one of you in here are immensely gifted people. I've talked with many, many of you, and I know the, the skill set range. We have people who jump out of airplanes and enjoy it. We have people who can sell anything. They could sell a paperclip to a paperclip manufacturing company. We have some people in here who can organize and are good with numbers. When I look at numbers and spreadsheets, it's like I'm looking at the matrix. It makes sense to some people. We call them accountants. We have some people in here who are doctors. We have people who have held hearts beating in their hand, and they come to hear about Jesus who made the beating hearts. We have some people in here who are just working jobs that they don't like at all. We have people that wake up every morning and they go to a job that they would rather not go to. We have some people in here that love their job so much that their spouse prays for them to love their job less. We're all caught up in these different phases. But there's one thing, there's one thread that has to unite us. That is what Jesus has called each and every one of you to from the moment you were saved. And there is a specific calling. Some of you are thinking, there can't be a calling for me because there is no way in the world I would get up there and preach. Just before service, there was about one minute left, one of the middle schoolers came up here and she was asking me when I'm going to come teach the student ministry again. And I said, when are you going to preach? And she went like this. No. Now, she might actually one day. I could see her. She's spunky. She's a fiery one. But, but we're not all called to do the same thing. We're just called to do the one thing that God has put you and equipped you to do in your context that I could never do and that the person sitting next to you could never do. And that's what Paul is going to get at here. First, I want us to talk about rejoicing. I want you guys to think about your life in the scheme of the grand picture. If your life is truly a vapor, as the Bible says, and many of you know that it is, right? If you're a little bit older, I've been told, I don't know that I've fully experienced the gravity of this yet, but I've been told by my dear friends and, and relatives that uh, when, they, when they feel themselves in their mind, they feel like they're 20. But when they look in the mirror, the mirror reminds them that they're 60-something. Is this true? Does this happen? Because for me, it hasn't happened just yet. I got a solid amen out of that one. For me, it's my body. I think that's the 30-year-old version of that. I'm 34, turning 35 this month. I think the mid-30s version is my body. Like when I go to play basketball and do something that I used to be able to do, and I jump, and but before I even land, I'm already thinking I should have worn my knee braces. Like that's where I'm at. But these, these phases move, and, the, and Paul wants you to, to know something. No matter where you are, no matter what phase you're in, he starts out with this. I rejoice in my sufferings. Paul rejoices that he has been beaten. Paul rejoices that he has been shipwrecked. When the Bible talks about how many times he's beaten, it says uh, in Corinthians, he's been beating, beaten countless times. He has been physically assaulted countless times, and he says, I rejoice because it means I get to do what I love to do. This is what it goes on to say. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's rocks, not drugs. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea. This guy had a rough life. Could you imagine preaching the gospel, having people throw beach rocks at you, dragging you outside of the city because they think you're dead, and when you wake up, your first thought is, I think I'll go back in there. Because that's what he did. And he said, I rejoice because I get to do what God has called me to do. That's how I get through my emails each week. I say, God, I need the resurrection power of Jesus to get through these emails so that I can preach on Sunday. Let's go. And it's not nearly a comparison to getting hit with sticks and whips and having rocks thrown at me. By the way, if you ever throw a rock at me, I just want you to know that I'm sure there are ex-military or current military in here that will protect me. That's all I'm going to say. I want you to rejoice where you are. Some of you have lost the joy of your current phase. You've lost the joy because the bills have beat it out of you. You've lost the joy because maybe one of your children is going wayward. One of your children has gone haywire. Their circuits seem to got mixed up in there and they're not making good choices. Some of you have lost the joy in God because your job is, is a trudgery of swamp and muck. And you wake up every morning and you hate your alarm clock like a nemesis. Some of you have lost the joy because all the things that were once good and going your way have slipped from your fingers. Paul wants to remind us that no matter where we are, no matter where we find ourselves, if we come back to this Jesus, the Jesus of Colossians 1, we can have joy in the midst of every situation. And I know that it is hard. I've gone through dark times where the joy was nothing but a tiny pinhole of light in what seemed to be the dark canvas that was my life. And then I've gone through glorious times where I was at beaches and it was so bright I could barely see the joy because I was just soaking up the sunlight, getting ready for cancer. Rejoice. I rejoice in my phases. I didn't always used to do this. We've been watching these videos where you've got the young baby. And when I asked people, I went around and asked some of you, what was your favorite phase? One of the answers was mothering. Mothering was her favorite phase. When I asked other people, uh, I got one lady that said, I really love my kids, but college was my favorite phase. I'm not going to tell her kids. I don't want them to go cry in a corner when they get home. It's okay. I don't know what my favorite phase is yet, but I used to always say this phrase to my, my wife, babe, it's just a phase. It's just a season. We'll grow out of it. We'll get out of it. And then I, I realized one day that, that I was trying to get out of every single phase that I was in. My job phase, my family phase, my kid phase, the relationship phase, the friendship phase. Every single phase, I was like, hey, it's just a phase, 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 just a phase. And then I realized, what am I even living for? I think I'm living for an imaginary phase in the future called heaven. Well, that's not imaginary, but, but my future self, where I was going to be having everything together. I was going to be 45. My 401k was going to be bursting at the seams. My kids were all going to love me. They were going to have obeyed all the way, followed Jesus, never rebelled. That was like my imaginary phase. That was my goal in my head. And then I realized, all of a sudden, I'm not living for today's phase. I'm not enjoying today. I'm not enjoying this moment. So I started getting rid of that phrase, and now I say it's just a phase. I don't want to miss it. And that's what Paul wants us to get at. Every moment of your life 
is a moment to be captured or lost. As we go around these days, this is what I saw. I went to Disney World this last week. For those of you who know, I'm not a huge Disney World fan, but I found a way to be happier at Disney World. What I did was I, um, I talked in an Australian accent all day. And, uh, and I even got mad at somebody in an Australian accent. My wife was not impressed with my accent, although I thought it sounded sexier if I were a girl listening to me, but she said no. This is what happens at Disney World. This is why I get so mad. People are doing this. They're on their phones at the happiest place for some people on earth. And they're, they're just sitting there. And I thought, my goodness, this is me. I'm, I'm the dad. My kids are making memories, and here I am. Like, I'm so obsessed with other people's lives that my kids' lives are flashing away right underneath the back of my phone. I'm so obsessed with that next show on Netflix or Hulu or the next latest and greatest that I can't miss that episode, so I instead miss conversations with my wife. And I'm guilty. I'm as guilty of this as anyone in this room. I've binge-watched more shows than you could imagine. But as I pressed into this week, I had this peace settling on me where God said, it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what you're going to do going forward. I want to make my life one of rejoicing in the moment, rejoicing no matter what's going on so that I know and that I can have the security and peace and hope of Jesus in me. Rejoice whether you're safe, healthy, wealthy, secure. Rejoice whether you're struggling, suffering, broken. Rejoice because we have a hope that transcends our circumstances. Man, in Philippians 3.8, Paul says, the same author who wrote this book, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. He counted everything as loss. And then in the New King James Version, or the Old King James Version, it uses the a word in that sentence. He said, all things are rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And rubbish, in case you don't know, that was um, probably a Greek bad word that the um, nervous Bible scholars translated into rubbish. The King James guys, they didn't care. They translated it dung, D-U-N-G. And that's what the word was. That's a Bible word. That's what Paul considers everything to knowing Jesus. He's like, here's Jesus. Everything's gone to dung. I can say dung. My wife's been saying, don't say semi-curse words from the pulpit, so I'm trying to stop that. I love you, babe. Do you count all things as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus? And here's what Paul says next, and this is where we're going to camp for a little bit. He says that, he became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Everyone in here, if you know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus yet, just listen in. This is a family conversation. This is the family conversation where we're sitting around the table and we're doling out the chores. But if you're not part of the family, just laugh at the guy that gets the hardest chore, okay? So we all have something to do. Everyone in here is unique. Everyone in here has a circle of friends that no one else has. Everyone in here has a gift set that no one else has. Everyone in here has a heart and passion that no one else in this room or on this world, for that matter, can emulate, can copy. And God has a specific reason for you to live in this family. I'm going to tell you a few stories today because some of you think that doing ministry, when we read, I'm a minister of the gospel, we're thinking of Paul, we're thinking of preachers, and I don't want us to think about that. It's not about the preachers. It's not about who stands up here. It's about who lives in here and in there and in there. And here's, here's what Paul wants us to understand, that we are all ministers of the good news. 
All of us have a job of raising everyone up to know the Word of God. Every single person in here. Okay, so we're going to do a survey. Are you ready? First, we're going to do age. If you're under 20, raise your hand. Okay, if you're 20 to 30, raise your hand. 30 to 40, raise your hand. 40 to 50, raise your hand. 50 to 60, raise your hand. 60 to 70, raise your hand. Do we have anybody 60 to 70? 70 to 80? 80 to 90? Yes! I love that. I love that. We're clapping for you, Bob, but I'm still going to race you to the finish line. I want to meet Jesus before you. This is so cool. I love this. I love that we have people that are under 20. I love that we have people that are in their 90s. In their ni- I've not been breathing oxygen for 35 years yet. And God has a unique plan and purpose for every single one of you. I had a friend, uh, Brian, he sells communications stuff for the government. He, doesn't, he never told me what he did. It's sort of like this, uh, you know, the government guys, you, you know each other because you all are here. You guys work at this Air Force base and I ask you, hey man, how's our country doing? And you just give me that look like, I can't tell you anything. If I did, you'd get killed by the CIA in 10 seconds. I'm like, cool, man, you keep that to yourself. But my friend Brian sold communication satellites, still does, and he never saw that as his primary job. His primary job was raising his kids and telling other people about Jesus, and he got paid from this communications company. That's how all of us work. You, You may think that you work for fill in the blank, You work for some hospital. You work for some company. You own your own company. That's not actually the truest sense if you're a follower of God. You work for Jesus, and then he decides he's going to route your paycheck through your ability to build, through your ability to be a nurse, through your ability to sell stuff, through your ability to create things, to paint, to photograph, to whatever it is. We are full-time ministers for God, and God just routes our paychecks through different companies, through different organizations. Brian was a shining example of that. He was an older guy. He had two young daughters at the time and now three. I had another friend. He was a younger guy in his 20s, Brian Angarola. Man, this kid was the best. He worked at Sherman Williams Paint Company. All his life was when I first met him was, man, I used to have this girlfriend. Now she broke up with me. What do I do? I need Jesus. I found Jesus. I love Jesus. I got a new girlfriend. But then all of a sudden, when Jesus grabbed him, flipped a switch, and he changed. When I first met Brian... It's because he was going to the church down the street from the church that I was working at. He would walk by the church where I worked, and he would go to the church where he grew up, and he would pray. And this, this kid, no joke, in his 20s, would pray every Thursday from 10 at night till 12, and I think it was Mondays or Tuesdays, from 12 at night till 2 in the morning. He would go to his church, get on his knees, say his prayers, and be laying them down. And one day he said, God, there's got to be more than this. And on the way home, God said, go to this church this week. And he came to that church, and he got snatched up by Jesus. And as soon as that happened, he kept on praying at his old church, but he said, I know that God has a bigger plan for me. I don't know what it is. All I do is work at Sherman Williams, and without any guidance from any pastor, from any sermon, he looked around where he worked and said, I'm going to do something. So he would get up on Saturday mornings with his own Sherman Williams money. He would slather on the PB&J, He would make turkey sandwiches, and he would go to a bridge that he drove by every day where he always saw homeless people, and he just went and handed out sandwiches. And then he did it again, and then again. And then he heard their stories, 
And then he found out some homeless people were allergic to peanuts, so he stopped making just peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and, and then it became this thing where they missed him on the weeks he couldn't go. Be because Jesus said, this is your, this is you, Brian. This is not where Pastor Ryan or Pastor Jim or, or somebody from the church is going to be able to go. This is your road, your commute, and your peanut butter and jelly slash turkey sandwiches now. Now, God has a unique call that may be just that for you. Maybe you already know what it is, and maybe you've been ignoring it. Maybe you've been stuck in a phase, and your phase, and the noise from the phase of your life has been drowning out what you already know God is saying. I want you to do this. You see this person. You see this need. You see this brokenness. Can you go? And all that you're thinking of is, I just got to get through this phase. I just got to get through this phase. And God's saying to you, stop and pause and know that this phase is part of my plan for your life. Another friend that I have, Andre, he's an entrepreneur. Guy would just come up with ideas, ideas that were crazy to everyone else but not to him. And he would work to start companies so that he could give money to things that he valued in life, things that were important to him. He didn't work to make money for himself. He worked and created these things, raised millions of dollars so that he could say, I want a food shelter here. I want a church building here. I want to stop these battered women and children shelter from closing down here. And he would just be giving out his money. God gave him the gift of being an entrepreneur, but he knew he didn't want to be rich. He didn't want to drive the Mercedes. He didn't want the Beamer. He wanted to say, I'm going to push back the darkness in all of these areas of life. Man, what is your story? Because the guy that plays guitar up here, he's a full-time army guy. I don't pay him anything. He loves to sing to Jesus. If I paid him something, he'd put it back in the baskets. He's full-time in the army. The people that are singing, the people that are running the, the children's ministry, Jesse, the, the giant guy that looks like, um, I don't know how you describe Jesse, like a blonde version of good-looking Shrek. That's how I describe Jesse. <laughs> Just this huge, good-looking man, strong, you know. He teaches Taekwondo to little kids. I mean, talk about terrified. First off, these little kids are like the size of his calf. And, and he's nice back here. If you've only seen him here, he's nice. If you see him on Taekwondo, him and his wife, Don, they're something else. They're like angry ninja senseis. And I don't know, I don't deal with that. I hear them talk to kids sometimes, and I'm like, y'all kids better run. They sound scared. Man, the, and he runs our children's ministry. He's, he's sending out emails. He's recruiting teachers. He's trying to get people involved. Edwin, the guy that runs our GLOW, our student ministries, you know, right now he's back there teaching children's ministry. I love it. I love that Edwin, who teaches our students, is like, yeah, these students are going to be mine in like a year, so I'm going to go back there and teach them, get to know them, build relationships. He sells healthcare stuff. He sells insurance to people. But they've all found their niche. And I want you to find yours. I'll share one last story. I think this is funny. It just came to mind. Uh, we had somebody come to the chapel about a month and a half ago. Month and a half ago. They stroll in. They had walked by the sign and said, I need to go. They're coming in. After the service, they said, how can I help? And I said, well, you, we got a million needs. We need children's teachers. We need tech people. If you like to sing, we can, you can sing. If you play an instrument, well, you can play an instrument. If you don't play it well, don't ask. There's some pretty intense people up here. If you want to do a Bible study, let's do a Bible study. This guy said, I'll do whatever. And somebody that's been attending here for about a month and a half they're the ones that they're getting the sermons. They're uploaded now every Sunday, Monday morning. They're on YouTube. They're on our website. And I'm like, dude, you just got here. 
I've been trying to get people to do something for a year. You just got here and you're like jumping in. I love that. I love it. And, and some of you have these gifts that you already know. As I'm saying this, you're like, okay, I know my gift. I know what I'm supposed to do. But, but should I do it here? How do I not do it here? Here's what I'm going to say. You don't have to do something in this building on this campus. But you've got to do something. Because we're all ministers to make the word of God fully known. So first, you've got to get in this book and know this book. You've got to put your face in here. Not just, not just kind of walk by it in the morning and touch it and read it like a little verse of the day. You've got to plant your face in this book. And if you don't know where to start, start in Colossians and say, okay, we're going to be in Colossians till May. I'm going to read it and I'm going to try to guess everything Pastor Ryan's going to say so that when I go on Sunday, I'm already going to know it. And then you see if you can figure that out. Good luck getting into my brain. But, but get in this word and then pass it on. If you don't know how to pass it on to anybody, pass it on to kids. We have the sign-up sheets that were there in cafe, and they're going to be there after service to help out with kids. Right now, we're trying to figure out, okay, what does it look like? How many teachers do we need to get everyone on a rotation? If you want to learn the Bible, man, go back to Jesse and say, I'm ready to teach some kids. Give me four weeks. I'll shadow somebody, and then I'm going to jump in and teach them the Bible. Those kids will terrify you because they're going to ask questions you never knew existed. I, you think I'm joking. These kids have some of the craziest questions I've ever seen. Not only that, while they're asking theological questions meant for seminary professors, they're also coloring on the wall with the blue ring pop tongue juice that's on their face. Like this is an intense ministry back there. But, but that's where you can teach these kids to make the word of God fully known. If you've never opened up the Bible in your marriage, just try it. I know it's not for everybody, but just try it. Just open it up and let dust settle on a page other than the cover. And say, hey, I read this today. What do you think about that? Just to give it a try. If you've never prayed with your spouse, with your friends, if you have a circle of friends, pray with them. Just do it awkward and fast. Next time one of your friends that's a Christian says, hey man, I'm going through this. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for this thing going on in my life? Just say yes and reach your hand and put it right on their head. I don't care if you're in the middle of Panera. And you start praying like you mean it. Because you know what I do? What I've been guilty of? Yeah, I'll pray for you, man. And then I go away. And I'm like, I was supposed to pray for something. God, I ask that you would cover that one prayer request that I don't even know what it was. And I'm sure he could do that sort of thing. But how much cooler would it be if our relationships were Bible-centered, prayer-centered, so that right when anything happened, we brought Jesus right into the middle of it? Whether we're in Panera, whether we're at Disney World, whether we're at a Gasparilla parade, no matter where we are, no matter how many people are around, God says, bring Jesus to the middle of everything. Make Jesus the center of everything. Lift him up so that all your life is centered around him. To do this, the Bible says, to present people mature in Christ. Toil to raise people up. Now, I do have a beef with this word mature and immature in Christianity. If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you know that we have what are called mature Christians. Those are people that obey all the external rules. And then we have people that are immature Christians. Those are people who are really bad at obeying the external rules. So, for example, a mature Christian would be someone who has morning devotions, doesn't drink too much, or at least when they do drink, they hide it from everybody. And an immature Christian would be somebody who comes to Bible studies, but they, you know, you catch them cussing all the time. Like, they're dropping these words here, these words there, and you know they're kind of shady. That's what we call an immature Christian. I don't like those labels at all. I don't like them. 
I think it separates us, it segregates us, and it makes some people feel like, well, I can't go to this Bible study because I don't know enough, and it makes other people feel like I can't hang out with them because they're mature. So let's just kind of, for the chapel's sake, abolish those labels, and let's just call it maturing Christians. Because we are all on a growth spectrum. If you're, if you're in Christ, you will be going forward. If you're not in Christ and you're not going forward, then that, that should be a red alert for you going up. But if you're in Jesus, he will carry you along, and we are all maturing. And some of you, some of you who are in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, ever we had 90s, some of you are thinking, well, I must be a mature Christian because I'm old. Well, no, being old doesn't necessarily make you a mature Christian. But then again, sometimes it does. What the important thing is, is that we are on a growth progress chart that we're actually moving toward Jesus. We're actually loving this book more. We're loving prayer more. We're reaching out and praying for people more. We're bringing light into dark areas of our world more and more and more. If you want to see what that looks like, just think about the parenting process. As we've been watching these videos, the reason I wanted us to watch these is so that it would deepen our appreciation for how life comes in phases. And man, having kids, watching them grow, I don't think there's anything that illustrates phases quite like that. So let's check out the fourth video. Thank you. 